Hey, aloha, and welcome to the 51st edition of Coffee with Coach. And it ain't just Coffee with Coach. I got my man, Magic Mike, here, and we're going to talk a little NFL. Michael, as a Broncos fan, with all of this, you know, Aaron Rodgers stuff swirling around, didn't show up at OTAs, you know, didn't, not going to be a mini camp, basically saying, I'm out. Is there, is there hope? Is there a chance that he'd be in orange and blue? Well, first off, Jeff, can I, can I just say congratulations? 50 episodes last week, big, big episode today. 16 weeks to go until we're all starting to go. Uh, no, I, I don't think so. I think Rogers will be in Green Bay in September. And he's in your territory at the minute. He's actually in Hawaii at the minute. I'm not sure if you've seen it, the, the dancing and the... He's, he's, he's a smart man, you know, that's where, that's, and that's where I'm heading tomorrow too. So we'll get out of this nasty weather in Houston. You know, um, a couple of things around the NFL that are really uh, interesting, I, I, you know, and we're going to, we're going to chop this up with the heroes in a minute, but um, I just really thought what a cheap shot by Shannon Sharp on his buddy, uh, Julio Jones, calling him up. Cole calls and says, Hey bro, what's up? What's going on in Atlanta? And then, and then Julio just, doesn't he must not have known he was on on live i'm gonna do that on you on our show some weekend i'm gonna call you on friday and be like hey man (laughs) no here seriously we don't know obviously like this is going out on tuesday it's monday at the minute but we don't know if as of right now i don't think we do know if if julio knew that was like it doesn't seem it because it the start of the phone call was very much like oh yeah yeah man hold on a second hold like you know you're like oh just let me grab my phone and stuff (laughs) incredible did you see the face of skip bayless when he said i'm not going to be back i mean it was tv gold i mean it's ratings gold but even taken away from that the, the story about julio like you mean they, i know the heroes are going to talk about it but i think it's well known now in circles that he that he has wanted out now for a few months uh do you think there is anywhere screaming to get him jeff i mean is, well, I, is there any know, obvious I think there's a lot of places that he would really help and he's you know, like he's like a lot of veteran players mike they they want to go where they can win they want to win a championship he wants to win a super bowl he was he was 30 minutes away from winning the super bowl and he's never done that in his career um so i i can understand why he would want to go and you know when you look at teams that need a big receiver who still, you know, can produce at a high level, that may be the thing that puts a team over the top. And so do I think there'll be interest in him? Yes. What scares me about it, though, is from a club standpoint, is he's a huge contract, $15 million contract comes with it, right? And he's old. And, you know, but if you're a team that is at the window, you know, and also what about the Packers? Think about that. There's a conspiracy theory for it. Take him to the Packers. That might just be enough to convince Aaron Rodgers that they're serious about, you know, and that was one of the beefs that Aaron Rodgers had had expressed was, hey, you know, good players keep going out of this place, not coming into this place. And so, you know, the players today, Mike, they have so much more power than they've ever had. And I think that's a reality that every coach and general manager has to face going forward. So, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting. Good morning football, right? on the network, which is one of the shows we love to watch, was picking their most dependable receivers, right? And Robert Tanya, the tight end from the Packers, got some mention, got some love. But also, Peter Schrager picked, guess who? I'm going to say... 
Cole, Cole Beasley. Cole and I thought I was, it was so good, you know, to see. And Cole was a pro bowl, or excuse me, a pro bowler last year, second team pro bowl player. But so good for him to finally get the recognition that he deserved. And I, and, I, and again, they showed his play against the Colts when he was playing on a broken leg and out there making catches all over the field. And, you know, certainly I don't know if he's the most dependable receiver in the National Football League, but I'm certainly proud of him. And I'm certain, certainly think he's one of the most dependable ones in the, in the National Football League. Yeah, like the, the, the journey that Colby's has made, you know, to get to Buffalo and perform at that level has been incredible, but he works so well with Stefan Diggs. So I yeah. completely agree with you. You, well, haven't mentioned it. you know, this this coming year, Buffalo fans, Emmanuel Sanders is going to be back. Those guys haven't played together since I was coaching them at SMU. So <laughs> it's going to be fun to watch them together. We're going to get those guys on our show in the future. So look forward to that. Um, the other thing, there was a talk that they were saying, okay, what quarterback – and head coach duo is about ready to take over the NFL. Who would you pick? Who would you be? Who do you think the hot quarterback head coach duo would be? I think if you ask me now, and if you ask me maybe in six months time, it's it's going to be hilarious to see. Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes. I, I, I can't look back from them too, to be honest with you at the minute. But what about Big Bill? Bill and Mac? in a few months <laughs> oh you are going out on a on a very thin it's, limb my man it's the end of may man it's the end of may it's it's pre-june i'm just having a bit of a laugh i don't but, know i think it's it's one of those things i think it's a season where there's going to be a lot of change but do, will we see a coach and a quarterback come up to that next level i don't know i, don't, I think it might still be about the status quo this, this one fascinated me and i can't remember if it was, it was o'hara or who it was but they said that Arthur Smith and uh, Matt Ryan, they thought mm. they would do magical things. Now, I, I tend to go with you because I think Patrick Mahomes, obviously, coming, he's going to be healthier. And he's, the offensive line that they put around him in Kansas yeah. City should really, really give him a chance to explode. But, you know, Tom Brady, he's going to have the whole, you know, they've got all this, you know, offseason to work together. He's in the second year of being being around Bruce, you know, much more comfortable. They didn't have AB the whole year, and and they're going to have him from the get go apparently this year. So I think I think Tampa Bay is another one of those teams you're going to have to watch out for. You know, when you talk about head coach and quarterback duos, they're going to rip it up next year. And they're the first game on Sky, and you've got the the well, your boss at Sky is on today, not Neil, but uh, Alex Mason, yeah. Yeah. And it was, you know, talking to Mace is really fun because here's a guy who, you know, grew up a, a Houston Oiler fan. And like he, he'll, he's going to talk, he's, we're going to ask him about his fandom today on the show. But a uh, great guy made his money as, uh, or his name as a producer of cricket. And then when the NFL produced, uh, NFL producing job came open at Sky. He moved away from his comfort zone. He was a cricket athlete as a kid and moved away from his comfort zone in cricket to his real love, which is football, and has taken our football broadcast and just really, really, really brought it forward. And our viewerships are tremendous. And, you know, he, he, Mace deserves a lot of the credit for that. And it's going to be fun to talk to him about that journey and then also what he sees as the future for Sky Sports NFL because, you know, we're, we have a – we have a, a mandate, really. We have a desire to 
stay way out ahead of the competition when it comes to being the place for the NFL in the UK. Yes, sir. And do you want to introduce the big guest today? Massive guest to start off. Well, you know, um, it's hard not to, uh, you know, our 50th episode, we had Wade Phillips. Now, that's my hero, right? But the 51st episode, we have three heroes. The heroes from the Around the NFL podcast. And these are three of the most fun guys to be around. They help us with our Sky broadcast. They have a tremendous, tremendous international following. And they are going to be a ton of fun to talk to today. So before anything else, bring on the heroes. Last week on this show, I got to worship one of my heroes. And this week on this show, we have three heroes in the studio to talk a little ball and talk a little life and just kind of chop it up, as we say. I am going to start with Mark Sessler. And I'm going to tell you, Mark, I said this when you first came on, that hat is strong because that is a vintage Cleveland Browns hat all the way back to the original Brownie, isn't it? Yeah, that's the old, uh, if you're looking on video, it's the old Elf, which, um, you know, I think the Browns attempted um, a number of branding uh, scenarios and they, they moved away from the Elf for a while, but I moved away from Brown's merchandise for roughly 20 <laughs> years. A, the colors are challenging. They had that five-year period where they had the worst uniforms in the league, but now they're back. Um, they've got the classic unis. Uh, they've they brought the Elf back into the fold. So I made my first um, NFL shop purchase in um, the 2000s uh, a couple months ago and it arrived and I wear it all the time. Hey, now you guys are passionate fans, first of all, of the game. And, you know, Dan, you're a huge, huge Jets fan. Now, Greg, what I got to know though, is, is it, are you a died in the wool Patriots fan or is this just kind (laughs) of like, you know, front running or what's going on? (laughs) I I was growing up. um, I have, you know, to be fair, try to disconnect my emotions somewhat <laughs> over the last it's like it's like um they've they've been as good as humanly possible so i just feel like what's the point now it's not going to get any better i like saw the greatest era in football history and like the you know the stakes are just down quite a bit so and it's more fun to just you know enjoy the rest of the week too Oh, Dan, <laughs> now you gotta feel like the like your jets 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 are finally finally heading in the right direction. I do feel that way, Jeff. And uh, everything Greg said, I don't know. I, I can't compute the way Greg even looks at fandom. Sure. But uh, but uh, he's been in a very different situation than I have been, especially in the last decade. Um, we've been doing our podcast, the Around the NFL podcast, since 2013. And the Jets have been pretty much the worst team in the league for almost that uh, entire run. So it's like you look at what we've been able to accomplish since 2013 when we started this podcast, nothing as a team. So now that they have a coach in Robert Sala that I can get behind um, a young quarterback in Zach Wilson, that's a lot, very exciting. And there are some pieces in place. They still got a long way to go, but I feel like there's infrastructure and the people are talking to each other and there's not this sense of dysfunction behind the scenes, which has been so um, just overwhelming in the last few years. So yes, I am very optimistic right now. 
you know, we're sadly missing the, you know, the fourth hero of, of the crew that uh, Chris Weston passed away during the season. And, and uh, I remember talking to him and he talked about how you guys all kind of found each other. And then there was a story in, that he told me about softball was a, was kind of a binding force for you guys. Would you play on an NFL network softball team or what was that all about? <laughs> yes, we were the, the shield was the name of our team. And it was a uh, <laughs> Los Angeles um rec league co-ed team and um we did it three seasons uh and all of us were on the team in some capacity Wes Wes and I kind of I managed a team and I, I called Wes my Don Zimmer my consigliere and we would uh we would pour over the lineups every week and recruit players and it was uh very very intense and really like Mark and I you know and and Greg we've all talked about um our relationships with Wes and how they were all unique in a way like softball for me with Wes was this thing that we had together because it went back to his days in Cincinnati and he was, he was a devout player and I was the same way in New York before I moved out to LA. So the fact that we got to um, share that uh, reunion of, of the sport together and actually win two titles and go to the championship game in another year. Uh, yeah, it was fun. We took it way too seriously, Jeff. It's absurd uh, how much uh, Wes and I wanted to win those titles and we got two of them. You know, I'm watching these great series on, on television down here in Houston, and it's about how, it, you know, the greatest rock and roll bands came together and then eventually how they busted apart. But tell us, tell us, I want to hear from you guys. How did this thing happen? Like, how did you guys get together and say, you know, you're going to do this podcast that has become such an international hit? Well, I could well, hand Mark it and off. Were basically doing it already. Um, yeah, I could. Podcast, like, I mean, not exactly, but they were there at around the NFL before Wes and I got there. We we were Dan and I were um, we were editors. We we started as three day a week editors at NFL.com. I mean, and you know, I I left um, what I would consider at that time a high paying corporate job to take um, a pay scale that like a high school student would take at the NFL.com. They're trying to like up their edit desk. Uh, Dan, Dan moved across the country for it. So it's like, we, we, we kind of went for it. Um, and we, you know, we were started to write a little bit more and we started our, our old editor, Justin Hathaway began around the league, part of the, the website at that point where we would write stories with a little bit of opinion at the end and annoy agents and players. They're like, why is the NFL's website um, producing this kind of content with these chuckleheads? But so at, at one point we, Dan and I had a, he said, he said co column where we would, you know, argue against each other and it morphed into um someone suggested why don't you make this audio and so we we created this little 10 minute roughly 10 minute um mini micro podcast called the debate club and then dave damashek who um many people know invited us to put it on the end of his podcast which couldn't have been more generous and it kind of launched that and we got a call from greg when he became the boss he basically told us at one point if you're going to do this, do it professionally, please. He wasn't totally pleased with the product, but then Greg, I'll, you, 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 you came to LA and things started to grow from there to some degree. So. Yeah, I came, I came to LA with Wes the same month apart uh, in June, 2013. And then once the, the four of us were in one place together, we, we basically started spinning as Damashek would say, you know, a month later. You know, it's amazing that, that, you know, like great teams have chemistry. They have, you know, just they have that it factor. And that's, I think, what you guys have. You really, really, really come off on the screen and on, on the podcast as really enjoying what you do and enjoying the game and enjoying, you know, the little the little uh, back and forth that <laughs> taking the mickey out of one another. 
I, I mean, we're no, we're no Reinbold and Rob Ryan and Neil Reynolds, but we try. Oh, I cut it. You stop, please. <laughs> but all you guys, you know, one of the things we do on the show is with every guest is ask them, you know, about their the root of their fandom. How did you become a Cleveland Browns fan? How did you become a Patriots fan? What made you love the NFL and the Jets? So give me the stories. I want to hear the, the, the genesis of your fandom. Well, uh, for me, it, it, you know, goes back to childhood and father and son type stuff. And, and the idea of uh, my dad grew up in the Bronx as a Yankees fan. And he, um, you know, the Giants, New York Giants were, well, yes, obviously the New York Giants, but there was the Giants baseball team back then too. But anyway, the Giants were the, the playing at Yankee Stadium at the time. And if, usually if you're a Yankee fan, you were also a Giant fan. But my dad didn't really connect with the Giants. And then when Joe Namath showed up, uh, my dad was right in that age range where he just fell in love um, with Namath and everything he represented. So my dad became the, the somewhat rare in the tri-state area uh, in the U.S. Yankee Jet fan. And so that was handed down to me. So when um, I first started to get into football, I remember the first game I ever went to it was a, a Jets-Chiefs game in 1988 at the Meadowlands that ended in a downpour and a late Freeman McNeil fumble when the Jets were in field goal uh, position in overtime uh, led to a 17-17 tie. And I remember that vividly. And just that's how it all started, just watching games with my dad every Sunday. And then it grew into something bigger. And then I had professional aspirations and away we went from there. But it all started at its root, just father and son bonding stuff. Yeah, my dad didn't give a shit about the Patriots. I don't know if he can swear on this <laughs> He did take me to see them against Doug Flutie, though. Uh, I mean, when Doug Flutie was their quarterback, like in 1988 or nine with Dick McPherson uh, winning six games. I was just into sports. I, you know, I like like a lot of kids, I guess. But I ne I didn't miss if I if I could help it, a single Patriots, Celtics, Red Sox or UConn Husky game growing up or like the Grand Slam tournaments you know, for tennis. Like I just watch every sport all the time um and loved it all like they would go you know go back and forth like which one was my favorite or anything but at the time even I started working at Roto World which was 17 years ago now like I at the time I probably liked baseball and basketball more but like any of them I loved you know to the nth degree and now now I love that we got into football because to me it's like the hardest one to cover it's like the one where we it's the furthest distance between what the players and coaches know and what the media knows, but I think that's good. Like there's more ground to cover. Well, and you, you mentioned Dick McPherson, who was the Syracuse coach um, before he moved to new England and um, a lovable guy. And my dad was a diehard Syracuse fan. He'd grown up in Syracuse, New York, and um, that more Syracuse basketball than football. So I grew up watching my dad um, on the easy chair, freaking out, over Syracuse basketball. And it just kind of became the bedrock for how I looked at sports. Like you don't um, approach it with a passionless attitude. You better find your team. And I, I lived not too far from Dan, actually. Um, he grew up in a coal town. Mine did not produce coal primarily, but like, um, you know, it was Jets and Giants uh, world. And so that was the only games you had back then. We didn't have cable TV, but I had a friend move in during middle school um, who was into broadcasting. And we had a school TV station. And, you know, it's not that different than today. We just became totally imbued in like announcing every possible thing we could doing um, basketball, football, um, cooking shows, all sorts of stuff. But he was a Browns fan. He was like, forget the Giants and Jets. He's like, get on this Bernie Kosar Browns team. 
And one night after a Pop Warner banquet, um, I went and had a sleepover to a friend's house and we watched the Browns with Bernie Kosar detonate Dan Marino's Dolphins. Uh, this would be 1986. And I said, this is my team forever. And I disavowed the Giants and the Jets. Three months later, the Browns are um, getting, they lose in the drive and my heart was destroyed. But the Giants two weeks after that beat the, the Broncos in the Super Bowl. So I question the decision, but I will say that like a lot of it, like Dan mentioned, has to do with my dad. I mean, he, you know, we lived in Connecticut. He drove us to Shea Stadium. He drove us to Giant Stadium, which, you know, to me seemed like driving through Nicaragua back then. But he went, he, he, he did the work to bring me to games. And FAN, um, the first talk sports radio station, was on 24-7. And I was just like, I can't look at, I'm 13. Um, I can't drive. Uh, I don't know how to talk to girls. I don't even know how to call them on the phone. I'm going to become the biggest football fan of anyone I know. And that was my goal back then. And I kind of achieved it. I don't know what, to what end, but that's how it started. To this I end. What? Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm saying to this end, to end up right here. No, I think so. I, podcast. I don't hey, think well, no, that's, no. that's right. Yeah. A lot of people would ask you like, what your favorite NFL moment was? I want to ask you, I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to say, what is the most gut-wrenching, tear your heart out, I'm, uh, awful moment as an NFL fan, as a Browns fan or a Jets fan or Patriots fan. I would say that I was indoctrinated into Jets culture and it's not a great culture. Um, Explain that, please. What exactly is that? Well, it's, a, it's kind of a tragic thing where, where incompetence, um, organizational incompetence meets with also like black magic. And it's just kind of a, a very dis a difficult fan experience because it just misery seems to find the organization. And um, for me, um, another game I was at at the Meadowlands, it was the Sunday after Thanksgiving, 1994. The Jets were six and five. They were playing Dan Marino and the Miami Dolphins, uh, who were seven and four. First place in the AFC East on the line. Pete Carroll in his first year as the head coach of the Jets, his first and only year. And the Jets take a huge lead with Boomer Esiason and a quarterback into the second half. And then Marino gets hot. Mark Ingram, four touchdown receptions, including the final one on the fake spike uh, by Marino uh, with seconds Ouch. to play with a young, very good cornerback, Aaron Glenn in coverage on it on all four touchdowns. And the Jets went from six and five to six and 10, fired Carroll, hired Rich Kotite, Ooh. three and 13, one in 15, then, um, then Bill Parcells came and righted the ship. But being at that game, I just have a vivid memory of walking out of the stadium and it was tight end Johnny Mitchell poster night. And Johnny Mitchell didn't do anything wrong in the game. In fact, he might've had a touchdown, but fans walking back to their cars in the dusk at the Meadowlands, ripping up the posters and throwing them in the dumpsters and on the ground. Um, it was just like, this is, this is what I've signed up for and it's too late for me to get out. Uh, I was already too far in at 14 years old. And that to me is the lowest moment. Mm. I want to hear Greg's lowest moment. Is I know. This is, this is where Mark. It was like the right. Patriots went seven and nine last year. And it was so hard on me. I mean, in fairness, they were, they were lousy during my most formative, passionate years of being a fan, which was like, you know, eight to, to 14 or 15, but they were never that close. So it wasn't like there, you know, there, there wasn't that many heartbreaking moments. In truth, it really was the 2011 uh, Giants Super Bowl, which I was in attendance for, um, watching Ocho Cinco not be able to 
beat single coverage on one side of the field. Mark and Dan have heard me honk about <laughs> way too many times. But it, it was the point where I did, because both those teams were kind of bad that year. It was one of the worst Super Bowls in terms of, I think, like the level of the teams that made it to it. And for whatever reason, I had it in my heart that this, that was probably Brady's last best chance. And it, and it hurt, it hurt more to lose to the Giants the second time around. And I just thought like this, this is terrible. Like they've, they've been at this great level now, but they're, they, you know, them getting another title is probably too much to wish for. And they did lose, you know, two more times in the playoffs the next two years, you know, one with Steven Jackson as a conference. Yes. They're like leading running back to the Broncos and once to uh, the Ravens, I believe. So at that point it had been 10 years between Super Bowls, and you, for whatever reason, you, you really wanted Brady because you felt like this is the greatest team of all time. You wanted them to dot the oh I. And I remember saying on our podcast, when they did beat the Seahawks in the Malcolm Butler game when they got the fourth one I did say like I can die now as a Patriots fan this is the one that I wanted this is it like I'm not going to complain anymore and I think to be fair I think I've stuck with that like the next two are beautiful and that they they dotted the eye even more but that's why I'm not going to complain now they gave me that compare point. and contrast those Jeff my <laughs> yeah, story and the next 30 <laughs> years that followed and Greg oh, in the next man. four years I mean they were one in 15 with uh Rod Rust they had some pretty pretty dark years but it was like there was no hope in those years they were awful back in those days because that was the other that was the third team that we got on television right. I grew up near you too I was 15 right. minutes from Connecticut uh, you right know, no, it was it was it was messy because that was not good football typically I mean and also, Dan, that spike um, play by Dan Marino was uh, called by Bernie Kosar. Uh, he was a backup quarterback for the Dolphins and suggested that play. So I don't mm. like that contributed to your heartbreak. That nugget I, doesn't do much for me. Don't need any more information about the play okay. or the history behind it. I would say mine quickly is um, it's, it swings cliche. But like I mentioned, like I, the drive happened months after I became a Browns fan. So I kind of thought that's an early um, setback. But now I'm all in and like the whole next season, like my room was like I had a typewriter in there and like a dot matrix printer. I was making my own like football magazines and Brown statistics. I drawing Brown's pictures and like became so obsessed with the team that I knew like the name of Reggie Langhorn's wife and girlfriend. I mean, that kind of stuff. And Gail. like it, so they the drive, the, the drive happened, then the fumble happened the next year. And I made the idiotic decision to go. I had a friend in middle school who was a, who had moved to town and was a Broncos fan. And there was another kid who was a Broncos fan. So I went over to this kid's house, the first kid, um, with his entire family and this friend. And it's like eight people rooting for the Broncos, including like a little girl and a mom. So it's like you can't say anything to them. Do and, uh, you know, the fumble occurs. And I am literally like crushed. I mean, my inner world is destroyed. And I had to, um, you know, I'm watching this mom going crazy on the couch and this little girl and the, and the dad and the brother. And it's like, I can't, I can't even really be who I am. I have to also be polite, um, which was absurd. Um, I called my dad. And I was just like, you have to like, is this, I just didn't know what to say. And my dad was trying to explain like in sports, you know, look at, you have to ride this wave. Things are really tough. Sometimes he's like, this is one of the tougher moments um, that I would have imagined for a sports fan. And even the next day there were weird, like um, rumors out there that there would have been a penalty at the end of the game that the league was looking at. And so I clung to hope <laughs> that the actual fumble might be turned around, um, which never happened, obviously. Oh, yeah. And it was the darkest timeline because my favorite player was Ernest Biner, and I just felt for him because they never would have gotten there without him to begin with. So, you know, two, two years into Brown's fandom, you have the drive and the fumble. Um, it never really got a whole lot better after that. So, How long have you been in therapy for that? Like that? <laughs> oh, it's, 
That's what bars are for, Jeff. Yeah. Hey, I got I got a ton of questions here for you guys. I'm going to read them to you, and then you guys hit them. As a massively popular podcast with an enormous international following, have you have you ever had an excuse me? I'm sorry. Have you ever had an offer to move the show to a competing network or to one of the streamers, i.e., Spotify? Follow up. This is from Andrew uh, from Liverpool. And it sounds like he's he's got a marketing deal for you. He's getting down to business. <laughs> right. Who do you work for, Andy? Come at us. Um, you know, we're listening. You know, it can't hurt. It can't hurt for leverage. So if you're out there, just come with this offer, please. We're, we're very happy at the NFL. But uh, if Andy is forming something like a, the Super League, but for podcasts, we are very open. <laughs> All right. Here's, an, here's the next one. Now, this comes from a very, very loyal Dallas Cowboy fan in Dublin, Ireland, Fred Plunk. He said, would the Cowboys have won the Super Super Bowl if Dez's catch had been allowed? You know, and the catch. That was the 2014 playoffs. Is that right? I think so. Let me look into that. Yeah. I don't think they would have gotten past Packers. Right. They, They would have had to get past Seattle, who was the best defense in the league that year. And then they would have had to get past the Patriots in one of probably I'd say the best Patriots team of the last, you know, 15 years, you know, since 07. So no, they're not good. They're, you know, right. and, we, and we well. basically just don't trust the Cowboys. So I'm going like hard no on that. But you know what? I, I do want to say that, like, you never know if you get past that game that puts you in the NFC title game and you're playing with a lot of confidence and you just knocked off a 13 and three Packers team. I get it from the, the fan angle, especially if you kind of fall for a team. And you looked at that roster and it was loaded with Romo out front and peak Des and was DeMarco Murray there at that time? He was. Um, you had some big pieces on defense. Probably not, but damn. Like you got lucky I the week it. before against the Lions, as Lions fans will tell you, come on. It, it's fun to dream, right? I mean, hey, yeah, Cowboys okay. fans have been doing a lot of dreaming for the last 25 years. Hey, <laughs> okay. Lewis from Merseyside says, What other cities would you want to see international games played in? And I know you guys are big fans of the international games and the London games. And he says Dublin, Berlin, elsewhere. What do you call it? What's your, if, if it does blow up and it's, we start playing games in other cities, where would, you, where would you guys like to see it happen? Yes I to everything. Please. Yes, absolutely. I mean, Dublin uh, and Berlin, yes. Berlin would be great. My, my dad was born there. I've never been, so that would be nice. Um, that, I, I'd love to see Berlin. But really, I think anywhere we would – even Dan, who does not like traveling outside the uh, the lower 48 states here, he would be down, I think. I like the idea of a game on like Easter Island, where these totally bizarre statues that we don't understand what they represent, and we kind of gloss over just so that we can get through our work and they, day. The field is actually, that's at midfield, and you have right. to work around, work around that. Right. Um, I, want, the- I want a game in The Hague, the Netherlands. Oh, yeah, uh, the, the oh, Netherlands. Sydney. Yeah. Uh, let's go to the Philippines. Brazil. Uh, there's there's really anywhere where there's any type of football fandom i feel like the nfl you know just sets something up and and build it up but it is it's it's been like the one of the thrills of our careers just being able to connect with this international audience and we got we've gotten to go over to london twice and it's been a career highlight both times and we're trying to make it happen again this year hashtag get atn to london uh but yeah i think it would you know the mexico city games are so much fun um i've never been to them but just on tv to watch the atmosphere the one games are amazing yeah i feel it makes so much sense to continue to try this out in other cities 
All right. Now from, uh, again, another Irish fan says, what option would you take if both were available? Justin Fields for 10 to 12 years or Aaron Rodgers for two to three years? And he says, I'm asking for a, for a disappointed Bronco fan. I guess who that is. Mm. But, mm. you know, wh which way would you guys go? Would you take the young, talented arm, the athlete, or would you take the old gunslinger? I would like take Aaron Rodgers because I think two for two, if you're going to pull the John Elway move, you probably win another Super Bowl and buy yourself another decade on that in that franchise if you're John Elway. And then and then you there's going to be good quarterbacks in the draft every year. You could you know after post Aaron Rodgers, you draft someone then. You just don't like have John Elway. Short, draft. Like you don't know if Justin Fields is going to be good or not as much as we like him. So I, I would take Rodgers in a heartbeat. Yeah, yeah that's a to me a no brainer. It's and yeah, this is peak field season right now. And there's this assumption that he'll obviously be a stud. But I mean, he dropped in the first round. It wasn't like he was a a flawless um, guy coming out of the college game. So there's a roll of the dice with any first round pick, even Trevor Lawrence, who's a as they no say question. is as big a lock as there is. You just don't know. Whereas Aaron Rodgers is coming off an MVP season. You assume what I mean, Jeff, what do you think? He probably has two to four big years left you just, you roll with that guy especially if you have a core around you that you could uh, have a super bowl window immediately pried open especially in this business because it's a now business i mean it's about right now and you know 10 to 12 years is an eternity man you, any nobody's around at that at that time hey you what's your take you guys on julio jones and what's going on with that whole deal i don't know if you saw the, the he kind of got he kind of got taken advantage of by his buddy today. Uh, Shannon Sharp called him up on live on the phone and mm. asked him what was going on in Atlanta. He says, I ain't going back there, man. I want to win. And so all the Falcons fans all over the world are enraged. But, you know, that contract is going to be a that's going to be a tough thing for them to unload. The writing's been on the wall for a few weeks now, it feels like. But now it's now it just seems like it's just only a matter of time. I think you're bummed if you're a Falcons fan because this is how it ends with this kind of whimper and him saying he's out of there and, and you don't get to see these playmakers together. And it would have been a really nice triplet threat there with Kyle Pitts joining with Calvin Ridley. Um, but at the same time, you know, he's what turning 33 this year. And if he goes somewhere else and you can get back a draft asset for him, hopefully, uh, you know, a high second round pick uh, it sounds like he's not going to get a first round pick. The Falcons aren't going to get a first round pick, but I guess all things come to an end, and this is where this is where it is. Falcons fans got a lot, ten years of greatness to enjoy with them. I think if you're Terry Fontenot, you're the new GM. You walked into a bad money situation that got worse because of the cap being reduced post Corona. I mean, it just like stuff came together in a way that like really limit you, limited you financially. So I think they kind of have been open to moving him. But um, Greg, you mentioned also last week that. There may be inside the organization some dissatisfaction with the Julio Jones experience, maybe, you know, create creating more openness to move him. Well, he, you know, he's he's asked for a new contract quite a bit. He did get the new contract. I, I just think the reporting today after, you know, Julio was on that that Shannon Sharp show from Ian Rappaport, our guy said that Julio requested trade months ago. So he's wanted out. I, I tend to think that's been driving this not. The cap thing. I think it's a, it's both. I mean, but I think it's like, okay, you want out? Sure. Like we're in trouble anyways. It's probably time to move. The fact that they weren't able to trade him before the draft indicates to me that people weren't willing to give up a, a first round pick for him, uh, which is 
maybe a little surprising, but that the, he's due so much money um, that I, I think it's, it's more about that, that teams did not want to give up a pick plus make him, you know, he's essentially one of the highest two or three paid receivers in the league at the same time. And, and now, man, if you can get him for a second round pick, Bill Belichick sent a second round pick for Mo Sanu a couple of years ago, just, I don't know, just do it. It's like, well, the what did they get Randy Moss for? I mean, it would just right. be like a the next fourth, version of that. You know? Yeah. Like a life is short. Some team, some team should send a, whatever, you know, a second and like another third or something like that and just get it done. I, you know, I think if, if he goes to New England, and I think probably just about any place, Atlanta's going to have to pay some of that salary. There's nobody's going to take that, that 15 million on. That's, that's a chunk for, for Julio Jones. And I mean, Julio Jones is a great player, but guys, you know, that's, that, it's a soft receiver market. And you're talking about a guy who's 30 some years old. So, you know, again, that's 15, 15 million is a big chunk of change. You know, so it'll be, but you know what, Jeff, at the same time, whatever team, let's say he does go for a second round pick and they work out the financials, whatever team gets Julio Jones, when you're putting together your depth chart and all of a sudden you're sliding that guy in and you're looking at your roster and you're like, okay, I will give up that second round pick eight times a week. <laughs> like that is a, that's a no brainer. I feel like if you're a team that's right there at the cusp, take the chance, roll the dice. Yeah. And Greg, as a Patriots fan, talk about that because you know, they've gone out and they have done things that are very unpatriot-like, right? Which is real active in free agency, you know, moving up in the draft. I mean, Belichick moving up in the draft is like crazy. But then you think about it, it's like, no, that really is patriot-like because he's he'll do whatever to improve his football team. I, I think they're good. They've been pretty good at self-scouting over the years, you know, I think that's been an advantage. And I think they self-scouted their roster as one of the worst in the NFL. You know, they, they have no draft picks from the last two drafts doing much of anything or really the last three or four drafts. So it's like, who you're not giving any of these guys second contracts. You got to spend the money on someone. The Patriots, by the way, I just looking at over the cap are one of like 10 or 12 teams that have more than $15 million in cap room and probably could figure it out with Julio Jones. There's a number of teams jets are, are way up there. Uh, and I, th I think Belichick looked honestly at his roster and said, for especially on, uh, you know, the skill position, said this roster stinks. You know, we, we did a good job getting them to get seven wins. Tom Brady, in hindsight, was maybe propping us up even more than than Belichick realized. And uh, they've got some good players like they've got a good O line. They got good players in the secondary. So why not just like spend that money in free agency a, a year that uh the, the cost, you know, it was a little easier to get a lot of players. There was less competition this year because of, because of COVID and everything. All right. Now the one that everybody talks about and that, rightly so is Aaron Rodgers and the fact that he's not in OTAs, mini camps, which is he, that's always been his history. He would, he was a guy that was always there and now he's not there. Do we read anything into that fellas or how, how do you see that romance ending? <laughs> I, I, for some reason, I, I just can't imagine him getting moved. Um, even if there is logic in my mind, at least uh, with his value never being higher. And when you look at all the factors at play here, um, it, it just seems like they're going to work it out. And it does not surprise me at all that he's not there because although we're sick of talking about it um, in the football world, like this is still something that's very much at the top of his list of annoyances of the way the Packers have handled him. Uh, so why, why would he go to these organized activities if if uh you know his own union is also kind of like 
put in heat for these players to stay away. None of it surprises me. I think he's going to be there in week one. Uh, but if you're a Packers fan, you're not going to be comfortable until he's on the field uh, in that first week. I mean, you got to a point where at least when the Russell Wilson anti-drama bubbled up, there was a point where John Schneider at least listened to a trade offer, took it back to Pete Carroll, they shot it down. But there, that's a level of listening. There's no evidence that the Packers are listening to anything or want to move them. And they technically have the leverage. I mean, I don't really buy that they really have leverage. If Aaron Rodgers is set against ever playing for them again, like something's going to have to happen. But um, it would have been a stunner had he showed up. If there were images of him at OTAs <laughs> flinging passes, I mean, that would have been a monster story. I think it's kind of just like we get he's not going to be involved in team stuff um, probably for a while. It's a game of chicken. You got Shailene Woodley on the sideline in the middle of May and in Green Bay having fun. Uh, I, I think they do have leverage just because just because I think if the Packers had to choose between two options, which is put him on a good team, which he, he'll make most teams good like the Broncos or have him sit out the year. I think they would gladly let him sit out the year and see what draft picks they can get next year. Cause those two out, I think that their worst option is, is trading him and he wins the super bowl and Jordan love is, is going seven and nine. So oh, I think they'd disaster, go seven yeah. and nine with Jordan love and have Rogers still, you know, under control. And I, I agree with that 100%. I wouldn't want him playing a game. Right. If, you could, if you could control that. I got a three part question uh, for you guys. So, um, Bear with me on this one as I read it to you. That's that a lot is, of part. That's ambitious. That's more of a Mark likes the two-part questions, which are risky. <laughs> well, I'm always being critiqued the for part. the two-part questions. Anything is risky when I'm dealing with you guys. But Dan and Mark, what <laughs> former show segment would you like to bring back? What former show segment? Segment. Okay. On around the, on the podcast, around the NFL podcast. I don't know if that means that it's it's defunct or has, has not been around in a while. I and think either. Some, is there something that people want us to do that we just forgot about? Please tell us because it's a very <laughs> quiet time of year and we could use content ideas. But uh, the fans really do love You're the GM, uh, where we play uh, the parts of various front office um, officials across the league and have uh, fake phone calls uh, to each other talking about potential trades. Um, I know the fans want that. It's just a matter of uh, do we want to uh, go down that road again? So I'll say that uh, You're the GM is a, a seg. I like that they didn't, I don't feel like Greg was involved in this question because he's the one constantly trying to remove in deep six segments, um, which is he's troubling, second, but he's the second, he's the second part of this question. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I would go Um, We did one last year, uh, which had literally nothing to do with football at all. Text or tweet where you could, um, <laughs> if you're Dan, for instance, it's Dan's turn and he could choose text or tweet and someone kind of designated um, to work for Dan. So like if Dan picks, if he picked, um, text i had cre created a text for him that he had to send to someone probably someone in our industry uh which would be highly embarrassing and then you can't you know two minutes later text again be like this was a joke for the podcast you got to let it just sit out there and it's a very uncomfortable text to a powerful person um or the tweet which i think dan's was last year like um hey guys you know listen i just um sort of seeing life differently i want to open up my dms um hit me up with any questions that you can uh, think of. And Dan spent the entire weekend responding to like 240 people. So, oh no, um, it was more than 240. Yeah. But, and also, no, you, you wanted me to add also a photo of Bono as well with the, right. with the tweet. <laughs> um, and so, yes, that is a very dangerous one. Yes. All right. This is, and again, I want to say this question comes from Paul in Newcastle. 
And the second part is for Greg. It says, Greg, which segment do you want to kill? Mm. <laughs> I, I'd like to kill the locks, you know, lock of the week. Um, I'm sitting, you know, I'm sitting on the two-time defending championship. That would be nice to just go out. It just adds a level. The, any, any game where the rules aren't clearly defined, this doesn't seem like a game at all. That, that's what I say. Those are the best games creates the most drama fellas <laughs> i tell you what it's been a blast having you on the show thank you so much for for taking the time out of your incredibly busy schedule i know it, it's uh trying to get the three of you together and, and you you making the commitments to come on the show is awesome i appreciate you very much i want you to know that uh our fans love you in the uk and we're all we're hopeful that you guys will be over for the for the london games and have a presence of a, a heroic presence at the games uh, and that's that's awesome jeff we're such a big fan of you and neil and the whole sky sports team and it would be awesome to get back there maybe we go back to that old pub near sky and toss a few back throw some darts mm. that would be nice as well <laughs> they yeah, say never meet your us. heroes but you like whoever you know is is down with with uh coffee with reinbold like he reinbold is exactly what you expect in real life like he comes with it he comes uh, as Reinbold as humanly possible. It's it's a highlight of going. Always forward. meet your Reinbolds. Right. <laughs> you guys are killing me, man. You guys are heroes, and I appreciate you. So, so Thanks, thank Jeff. you very much, and, and keep doing your thing because it's a, it's awesome. I love it. All right. Thank you, Thanks, Jeff. Man. All right. Thank you, Jeff. Right, yeah. Thanks for Go having on. us. Thank you. Hey, it's the time of the show where we bring on the guests and we got a great group of guests for you, starting with my boss, one of my bosses anyway. Uh, and this is a guy that Sky Cricket fans may know from his time uh, in the cricket department at Sky. Alex Mason is our producer of NFL, Sky NFL, and really one of the key players in driving the ratings to where they've gone with Sky. And I'd like to... Uh, Welcome, Alex, onto the show. Alex, you around? Yeah, I'm good. Listen, thank you very much for having me, Jeff. I've, I've been a, a fan from afar, and you surprised me with an invite onto, onto Coffee with Coach, but delighted to be here, mate. Well, you know what? It's funny you say that, Mace, because when there was going to be a change of producers at Sky, and there was all that speculation, I, who's it going to be, who's it going to be, and your name came up, your name came up, and they said, don't worry, because he's really a big NFL fan. And I was like, okay, I, that, that works. Now explain to me the, the, the Euler cap and then the Tennessee Titan fandom. Yeah, well, I, I mean, look, NFL fandom for people of my generation. So I'm, I'm 42. I look significantly older. I know that. Um, that's what but, working in TV will do. Yes, yeah, that's why I've got the big beard on, mate. Lockdown look, you know. Um, but back in the day in the UK, um, Channel 4 came along and... and it's, it's strange, right? So you've grown up with cable and all sorts of channels in, in, in the US and Hawaii. Over here, back in the day, we had three channels of TV. That was it. We had BBC One, BBC Two, and ITV. And this new channel came along, Channel Four. And, and they were desperate for content. Um, and so they picked up some NFL rights. So, you know, as, as a young man of 14, 15, I, I think something like that. And there was this NFL, like live sport was on late Sunday night. I was like, yeah, I'll stay up and watch this. And I was like, what on earth is this sport? Like, I didn't understand it, but but a lot of my friends kind of really got into it. So, you know, the fandom of people my age is all um, 
you know, John Elway, Dan Marino, like the Raiders, because they were cool. And obviously the kind of hip hop vibe and, you know, NWA rocking all of all of that gear. Um, and then, you know, for some reason, I, I kind of went against the grain a little bit. And the reason I'm rocking my, my Oilers cap is that uh, I started watching the Oilers with Warren Moon and the run and shoot team. And, and they were slinging it all over the yard. And, and the Astro Dome was known as the House of Pain. I'm like, I can get behind these guys. Um, and then it wasn't a great life choice. You know, we've, we've never won the Super Bowl. I just get my heart broken with all the sports teams that I support. So just add the Oilers into the mix and obviously left Houston. Um, and I never even thought to move to, to the Texans. I, I'm not kind of city bound. So I followed them to Tennessee, Tennessee Oilers for a bit and then rebranded to the Titans. And and yeah, all good. And, um, I, you know, I've, I've been to the States a few times and I'd say one of the best nights out I've ever had was in Nashville. So... You know, I, I, I love that city and I love my team. Well, I'm going to tell you something. You, you, you've been known to have a good time, especially, you know, you're, you, you around an NFL game. Why the Titans, though? I mean, why the, was it the powder blue uniforms? Was it Warren Moon? Was it, you know, the, that whole House of Pain thing that Jerry Glanville had going on? It, it, was, it was to do with the, the run and shoot ethos, I think. Like, you know, if you think back to those teams, even though you had the superstar QBs, you had the superstar running backs as well of that era. You had, you know, Walter Payton, Barry Sanders, you know, and, and there was, you know, smash mouth football. It was far more kind of physical and upfront than it is now. And we just saw like, you know, the, the run and shoot, four wide, baby blue uniforms, Warren Moon slinging it all over the show. We're going to score one more than you, even if we have to score 55. I'm like, yeah, like love that. And then did a bit of research, read about the Oilers back in the day, love you blue. You know, obviously our, our dear friend, Chris Westling wrote an amazing article about that for, around the NFL and, and Bum Phillips and, and, and all of that kind of stuff. And yeah, look, you know, I support a terrible soccer team. My football team's Mansfield Town. My, my father's got a lot to answer for. He handed me that, that fandom. So I, I don't mind supporting a random team. But, you know, our, our squad at, at Sky and the NFL team, we support terrible teams. So we've got a Titans fan, me, Patrick Crowley's a Jets fan, God bless his soul. And then Greg Bushell's a, a Giants fan. So they're having a stinky time at the moment. So it's rare that any of us are involved in the postseason, I suppose, with the exception of the Titans for the last couple of years. Well, Neil's, Neil's got his Dolphins back now, but my Raiders are still bad. So it's, Yeah, know. everyone's in the mud. It's, it's not a good look for our teams at the moment. Now, you're a competitive cricket athlete, right? And then you get into TV and naturally go down that path, the cricket path, because it's, it makes perfect sense. But when the NFL job came open, what what in, you know what was intriguing about jumping out of something you're so comfortable with and did, had a, had a great reputation of doing, and and into the NFL fire? Well, i had been in. Uh, listen, I've got a very strange professional career. I've had one job, and it's been at Sky Sports, and it was cricket, and now it's NFL. I'm very lucky in, in that regard. But I, I loved working in the cricket department. Um, and then the opportunity came up to, to apply for the NFL. And I was like, you know, I would watch it on a Sunday afternoon. You know, I'd, I'd be upstairs um, watching on one telly and, and my wife would be downstairs watching some <laughs> America's Got Talent nonsense downstairs whilst I'm watching Red Zone or whatever. And then saw the coverage. And just I just thought when the opportunity arose, it's, it's a growing sport. Um, and really, you know, the opportunity to develop a sport and to put your own stamp on something. That's, that's a real rare opportunity within Sky Sports. There are very few heads of sports. Now, I'm, I'm not actually a head of a sport, but I kind of look after the NFL for the company. So that opportunity, I felt, was just too good to, to pass up. So I applied, and, and they like what I said, and, and here we are, coming into season six now, I think. Now, Mace, the, 
I know you're a humble guy, right? And you don't talk, you don't like talking about yourself. You don't like talking about the accomplishments that you have. But when you look at the viewership numbers over the time that you've been there, I mean, it is like un, exponentially better. As a matter, of some of the best in the world, you know. And I know that for a fact from the NFL people. What do you attribute that to, as much as anything? I think it's, it's awareness of the game over here. So I, I think the London games have a huge impact on awareness over here. And I still think, you know, if I have casual conversations with people and they go, oh, what do you do? Oh, I look after NFL for Sky Sports. And they're like, oh, isn't that in the middle of the night? And there's still that from real casual sports fans that they just think it's buried in the middle of the night. So I think a combination of London games and the exposure around those and kind of casual fandom comes from that. Um, and then I think something really significant that, that we started last year is the Sky Sports NFL channel. So dedicating that in season to NFL content and more people are getting into it and, and understanding there are games at six o'clock and nine o'clock on a Sunday. So, you know, that's a real kind of sweet spot for, for viewership. Um, you know, I, I do think we're a, a real second screen proposition early in the evening, because if you're a family family unit, I think you're going to do very well to, to get the, the remote control off others in the household and watch seven hours of NFL back to back from 5 p.m. on a Sunday. So good luck with that one. Um, yeah, and then I think fantasy, you know, NFL fantasy is, is growing hugely in the last couple of years. And that can drive even someone that doesn't know anything about the league at all into fandom in a very quick way. Because when, when you do your auction and you're the only person that has Odell Beckham Jr. or you're the only person that has Saquon in your team, you're going to be all about, well, OK, who are the Browns playing or who are the Giants playing? Or is it a good week for them or a bad week for them? You know, a couple of my former colleagues in the cricket department who knew nothing about um, NFL, you'll know this because one of them came over to us in a production meeting and stuck his phone on your nose to ask you about his team. They're, they won't leave me alone now. I feel like in the <laughs> office, before the pandemic, like every Wednesday, I should have a little um, psychiatrist couch next to me because people will come over and be like, why is my fantasy team so rubbish? And what am I doing wrong? I'm, I don't know. I'm bottom of all my leagues. So, you know, I think that's a really key component as well and it it's one of those things that I think you know there's there's just growth there and you know once once the the game's taken a real foothold here I think it's kind of cross-generational now so you're getting the, the blend of people my age maybe a little bit older of fans and you're getting a newer generation coming up that have you know maybe they were little and got taken to Wembley to watch the Jags play back in the day and, and now they're proper fans and subscribers and, and viewers and you know I, I think that the numbers for us um, I'm not at liberty to talk specifics, but they have grown. Um, and, and the challenge for us really was to try and keep pace with Red Zone uh, in terms of what our studio numbers do on a Sunday compared to Red Zone. And, and you know, they're pretty much on par, which is really good and, and proof positive that Red Zone is your kind of entry level. So if you're a very casual fan or if you're a fantasy player, you'll watch that. But then you get people that actually want, either want to watch their team because they're playing at six o'clock or nine o'clock or they want to watch a full game and, and they enjoy what we do in, in the studio. You know, it's, it's amazing, Mace, from when I started well before you were there at Sky to where we're at today is the sophistication of the fans and the knowledge, you know, the knowledge of the fans has been is like off the chain. I mean, it's crazy how much these fans know. They, you know, we had the draft show a week, a couple of weeks ago and, you know, how crazy that was. And these, these people now, they know who, you know, who they want to draft. They, they've got, you know, they keep track in the off season. I just think it's amazing. Well, you guys have done such a great job. 
looking at this coming schedule, what are the highlights that you see as a producer as you start talking about the games that we're going to see on, on Sky? Well, so look, the obvious ones are the London games. So, you know, we've, we've, we've got the Jets and the Falcons coming over and then the, the Jags and is it the Bengals coming over as well? No, Jags and Dolphins, sorry, my bad. Um, and they're the obvious ones that, that jump out. So week five, week six. Um, we don't know whether we're showing one of those or both of those. That's kind of under discussion at the moment. Depends on what, what the contract is and whether the BBC have exclusive rights to one and then we show the other or whether we can simulcast one of them. That means that it's on the BBC and Sky. Um, at the same time. So that's the obvious one. Um, other tentpole events would be Thanksgiving. Um, looking further down the line, you've got meaningful games in week 17. You've got a couple of games on Christmas Day. You've got the expansion to the playoffs. So wildcard weekend is no longer just Saturday, Sunday. It's actually Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So, you know, even though we're mid-May, I'm already thinking about what level of staffing and booking and rotoring we need going forward for those shows, um, you know, whether we're going to be having on-site presence. So a couple of years ago, Richard Graves, um, our NFL reporter from Sky Sports News, would be there for opening game and then opening weekend. It's whether we can do that again in the pandemic world, whether he should go for Thanksgiving, whether he should aim at something else. ATN around the NFL, I, I know I'm the warm-up act for those guys, and, uh, and that's absolutely fine. I think that's not too amazing. Tipping my hand or tipping your hand too much, but they've already started their campaign to come over to London. So, you know, as you know, we've, we've had the guys over and, and love having them around. So if they come over, they'll be part of the London weeks as well. Um, but then, you know, I, I don't know whether, well, you know, but I'm, I don't know whether the guys watching this know, but we can choose whatever game we want in the six o'clock and 9.05, 9.25 window. And the reason you're laughing, mate, you know what I'm going to say? It sounds like a blessing, but it's a nightmare because- oh, it's a curse, it's a curse. The week one schedule now, you'd be like, well, okay, probably Steelers-Bills in the nine o'clock window and then um, Chiefs-Browns at 9.25, right? But then you've got to look at week two and week three to be like, okay, well, who are we going to show the following week? And I, I think the Bills have got a really good game the following week. So you don't want to go back-to-back -back Bills. And then, you know, Twitter is uh, social media is <laughs> a wonderful place, right? Uh, and everybody's got an opinion and, and nobody's shy. Um, but we never, we never get the game selection right. I mean, you look... Listen, everybody watching out there, I have nothing to do with it. It's all Neil Ryan, okay? <laughs> so keep coming at him. It's, it's not me, it's Neil. Um, <laughs> I'm sure he'll love me for that. But look, look, the, there's a conglomerate of people. So NFL UK are involved in the conversation. Uh, and then we have different people from different areas of Sky. Neil and myself have conversations because bottom line, we're, we're driven by um, viewing figures, right? We want to show the best game and we think that the best game will get the best figures. Now, you know, to, to your point saying it's a curse, it's like, well, you know, let's say Sky were the only broadcasters for Premier League soccer over here, right? And you could show any game and any team you wanted every weekend. It's like, well, okay, like, would you just show Man United, Man City, Chelsea, Arsenal, Liverpool, the, the, the big six? Let's not go down that Super League route, but... Whoa, 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 whoa. About what, what about Leeds? Come on, man. <laughs> sure, but would you show just those massive teams? So the point is, would you never show, I don't know, West Brom v Fulham, you know, because you get the opportunity to show Man United or one of the bigger teams? Or should there be a duty of care to show every team at least once in the season? So there's all those things to to marry up so yeah always interesting that's why mace you make the big bucks baby that's why you make the big bucks that's not true hey, I, appreciate I, actually, you coming. Jeff, 
I assume I'm getting paid the same as you get paid to be on one of my shows for me to be on this show, yeah? <laughs> I'll do the invoice in a bit. Hey, it's been awesome having you on, explaining all this and, and kind of taking the, taking the fans kind of a peek behind the curtain mm, of what goes on at Sky NFL. And, and again, just, uh, and I say this with completely, with total honesty, you've done an amazing job in steering this ship uh, into really, really places that nobody would have said five, eight, ten years ago that we would ever have the numbers we've had. And, and again, I appreciate you, bud. Well, thanks, man. I like, look, listen, just one last thing from me, right? And to be clear, you and I have somehow burgled our way into the most ridiculous of all occupations, right? Because <laughs> what you're seeing here, everybody that's watching, this conversation with Jeff and I, this is basically work for us with some kind of what we're going to talk about in what part of the show. So, you know, doing this and then going to the Super Bowl, you know, when we're in Miami with you and Coach Ryan and all the guys, you know, that's that's a... You know, we're incredibly blessed to do what we do. And we love having you as part of the show. And, and you know, we're, we're working on some stuff for next season. So fingers crossed we get that sorted, Coach. Well, I appreciate that. and I, But I got to say, for all the viewers out there, that that pink blazer that you saw, the Miami Vice, that <laughs> Alex Mason that you saw, that is actually my blazer that he stole from me when we were in Miami, when we were in Miami doing the Super Bowl in Miami. And, you know, it was priceless. That was a priceless moment being on the road with you. I appreciate you. Yeah, thank you, Coach. All right, take care, my man. Alex Mason, producer of the NFL Sky Channel and all of the production that goes on with getting the NFL on Sky every week throughout the season all the way through the Super Bowl. Thanks for visiting.